Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. My guest today is Kevin Costa, uh, the Chief Science Officer at Novo Heart. The website is novoheart.com. Novo is spelled N-O-V-O. So, Kevin, how are you doing today? All right, Rich. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, tell me about uh, Novo Heart. You know, what do you guys do there? Uh, so, Novo Heart is a uh, stem cell and uh, biotechnology company, tissue engineering company, uh, whose mission is to uh, revolutionize the drug discovery and development of uh, heart therapeutics. Um, and we have various uh, proprietary bioengineered human heart constructs. Um, and we further want to develop these into transplantable grafts for, um, for cell-based therapies for the heart. So are you growing pieces of hearts or whole hearts? Or what are you doing to, to test drugs uh, without testing an actual person's heart first? Yeah. Yeah, so we grow, um, I guess you'd call it sort of uh, uh, substitute tissues. It's uh, it's um, pieces of tissue or, or, or tissues that emulate important aspects of the natural heart. Um, and uh, these are designed uh, specifically for testing in the laboratory uh, to understand how uh, drugs and different therapeutics um, interact with human heart muscle. Um, these are typically uh, three-dimensional uh, constructs, three-dimensional little pieces of tissue um, that um, that reproduce important aspects of uh, heart physiology. And for that reason, uh, they allow us to predict and uh, model how um, how the natural human heart behaves um, under or under different set of um, of treatments. And so, um, so for example. Uh, in the drug discovery process, uh, the process takes about a, a decade or more, costs a couple of billion uh, U.S. dollars, and in the end, uh, more than 90% of the time, the drugs that enter the process fail um, and don't make it into the clinic uh, to help to help patients. And and part of the reason for that um, that very high failure rate is because they're, uh, these drugs are tested in animals. Um, Pretty much necessarily, you can't test them in patients until uh, you've gone through some extensive, um, you know, validation. And the animal models are, were really uh, all that was available. And so once thing, you know, we, we've gotten very good at at curing heart disease and other diseases in, in mice and in other animals. Uh, the challenge is then translating that so-called to uh, to demonstrate that these these um, drugs and treatments work in humans. And you sort of have to. After you've gone through a lengthy process of, of testing these in animals, you need to sort of take a leap of faith and try them in, in human patients for the first time. And that's always a little bit of a you know scary thing. And, and unfortunately, the um, you know history tells us that the animal models are not terribly predictive of how the how humans are going to behave. And in particular, uh, the reason um, drugs tend to fail in clinical trials is because of unexpected cardiac side effects. And so, um, so what, uh, what we've done is develop uh, these human engineered heart tissues from, hu- from human um, cell sources. So they're all uh, hu- you know, human uh, species specific. And this gives us a system that we can, 
um, use early on in the drug discovery process, early in the development process, to uh, to test um, compounds, to test treatments in a human-specific setting that we expect will be more predictive of how uh, how those drugs will perform once they actually get on to uh, to patients. Well, I guess if you could grow a whole heart, you could just transplant it to people, but it's probably a lot harder than just growing portions of the heart, right? Yeah, well, I guess it sort of depends on what the what the goal is. If if you're interested in testing how drugs behave in a heart, you really don't need a whole functioning heart to test that, right? You need um, you need um, models that uh, that behave like like the heart, and you can imagine that part of the challenge with with uh, these kinds of assays sort of development is is being able to make perform tests in what they call a high throughput manner. So be able to perform these tests relatively inexpensively and um, and to test a lot of compounds that you don't on the early on know if they're going to um, if they're going to be effective or not. And so the effort that would be required to make a full transplantable human really is sort of not appropriate for this kind of a testing uh, uh, drug development uh, application. Instead, what you want is something that uh, that uh, reproduces some key features of heart function um, and then and then and then sort of progress towards more sophisticated models and so uh, what novo heart has to offer we've developed over the years um, I guess probably about uh, almost 20 years now of, of scientific development among the three co-founders in our in our academic labs um, and then that progressed on to uh, um, um, de- founding novo heart uh, in 2014. Uh, and then actually going public uh, on the Toronto Stock Exchange just last year. We've been a publicly traded company for just under a year now, and uh, and our our main technology is our so-called My Heart platform. So the My Heart platform is um, uh, involves several different assays um, that uh, vary in complexity and vary in their main application. For example, we have one. Uh, called our anisotropic sheet. It's a layer of heart cells that allows us to directly visualize uh, electrical property, electrical uh, behaviors in the heart. So the heart's a complicated organ. It has mechanical as well as electrical functions, and um, and heart disease uh, and uh, cardiac toxicity uh, can arise both in the in the in the context of the electrical properties of the heart as well as in the contractile properties. And so Novo Heart has specifically designed these engineered tissues to address uh both of those key um features of heart function. So uh we can look specifically at the electrophysiology and look at the electrical properties of the heart in one of our assays. And then we have another assay that's designed specifically to look at contractility um called a, it's called cardiac tissue strip. It's like a little thin uh, piece of heart muscle um, that behaves very much like natural human heart muscle does. And then our sort of flagship um, um, assay is uh, is a human heart chamber, um, sort of like one of the ventricles of the of the human heart. Um, that's a miniature, a miniature pumping chamber that allows us to measure uh, pressure and volume behaviors, cardiac output, stroke volume, things like this that you might hear a cardiologist talking about when they're evaluating a patient, um, and also allows us to do electrical testing, kind of like an EKG that you would think about with a, with a human patient. And so um, by having this sequence of assays, this hierarchy, if you will, of a, of a, of a tiered assay system, it allows us to, to move very focused, high-throughput assays early on in the process and um, and move forward towards more specialized and uh, and more uh, clinically relevant 
um, assays uh, as, as, as a drug or as a compound moves through, through development. Yeah, that's amazing. I was going to ask you what characteristics are necessary in order to test. So I don't know if this gives away secret sauce, but how do you make just a part of a heart that beats, you know, or does it have to beat the tissue you're making? Like what, what characteristics does it have to have uh, in order for it to be viable as a model? Yeah, that's a good question. So uh, one of the important aspects, of course, is the is the cells that you start with. So the human heart is comprised of several different types of cells, depending on what part of the heart you're looking at and and whether you're looking at the, the vascular cells, the neural cells, uh, uh, the pacemaker cells, et cetera. Um, so one, um, uh, Novo Heart uh, has a pr- proprietary um, uh, method for uh, differentiating human stem cells into the ventricular myocytes, so the, the, the heart muscle cells that um, populate the large uh, um, pumping ventricles of the heart. And we're specifically targeting those um, that type of cell because that's the ventricles is where uh, the main um, uh, arrhythmias and cardiomyopathies, uh, so contractile defects, also uh, occur in, in human patients. And so first of all is, um, is creating these cells, which are sort of the building blocks of what we use for the for the entire MyHeart platform. Um, and then, for example, if when I mentioned the electric, looking at the electrical properties, it's important that the cells are are highly aligned relative to one another, so that the electrical conduction from one cell um, uh, f- progresses quickly along the length of the cell from one cell to the next, and more slowly transverse to the cells. So the cells are highly aligned, and and it gives you an electrical conduction pattern that's similar to what you see in natural heart muscle. That's critical to being able to. Um, reproduce the electrical abnormalities, and and importantly, it was important for us to reduce um, sort of the baseline abnormalities that you might see in normal cells that are just randomly organized. So, a number of groups have been able to, you know, plate cells on on, on a dish in a random organization and look at the electrical properties using similar techniques to what NovoHeart is doing. But NovoHeart's uh, uh, major breakthrough here was being able to get those cells to align in a particular way that allows you to really suppress abnormal behaviors and what, what that could arise in, in, that, in normal tissue so that when you either have an abnormal tissue, a, d- a disease type of tissue, or you add a drug that causes an abnormality, you have a much higher sensitivity of being able to, to detect that abnormality. So, um, yeah, so just ha- kind of having a higher sensitivity to, to detect abnormalities um, in, in, in the electrical properties. Um, similarly, Created, uh, the heart tissues, if you want to look at contractility, then you need to be able to actually measure the amount of force that the tissue generates. And you don't get that just from looking at a cell, you know, on a dish. Um, you can look at things like sarcomere shortening or, you know, calcium waves or other kinds of things that people use as sort of substitutes for twitch force. But really, ultimately, if you're interested in, in contractility, you need to be able to measure twitch force. And so so the, the tissue caps that we've created have integrated force sensors in them so that when the when the, the muscle is highly aligned and when it contracts and beats uh, like the heart beats, then you'd actually be able to measure uh, just by looking at the tissue, you'd be able to measure how much force is generating with some calculations that we do um, based on the uh, based on the so-called bioreactor that we've developed. So a bioreactor is a, is a device that's used to culture uh, these tissues and 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 stimulate them during the experimental process and uh, and measure their properties um, 
you know, measure the, measure the, the outcomes of the assay. Um, and then, uh, and then a major challenge was, was coming up with something, you know, as sophisticated as, as, as those tissues were in order to measure something like pressure and volume, uh, actually, a, you know, a pumping, uh, pump function, which is what the heart is designed to do is pump blood. You need to have some kind of a tissue that actually functions like a little heart, like a little ventricle. So you need a, a need a pump and we came up with a way of growing the tissue around a silicone balloon. Um, the balloon can then be deflated and you end up with a hollow spherical uh, little pump and you can see videos of this on our website. Um, and this pump, we can uh, lower a transducer down in, inside and measure how much pressure it generates, measure how much volume it, uh, it ejects. Um, if you if you disconnect this thing and let it um, float in the in the culture media, it'll sort of swim around like a little, like a little squid or something. It's actually squeezing blood out and and, and propelling itself. So um, it really is behaving very, very much like a, like a miniature heart ventricle would would behave. Wow, that's amazing. Um, so how much, uh, you know, have you seen the efficacy of your heart models yet? Like how much uh, easier is it to evaluate drugs? You know, how much faster? Yeah. So. Um, what we've shown so far is uh, in one study with our anisotropic assay, we tested a number of, of drugs that uh, about uh, almost 30 years ago now, um, there was something called a, the, um, something called the CAST trial. It was a cardiac arrhythmia suppression trial. Uh, this was uh, to test some drugs in clinical trials uh, that had shown to be very promising in animal models of arrhythmias. So um, if you have a abnormal heartbeat, antiarrhythmic kind of drug in order to suppress that and and restore normal electrical conduction. So these compounds were shown to be very effective at doing that in animal, in animal models. Uh, but when it went on to clinical trials, it turned out that a number of patients were found to actually cause arrhythmias in patients, and a number of patient lives were lost, actually, in the course of that trial, and the trial was, uh, was uh, withdrawn uh, prematurely because of the because of the risks that were being found. And so uh, this is a good example of where the human response was not predicted accurately by the animal models. And so we went ahead with our our electrical uh, assay, uh, that anisotropic sheet, the aligned cells on, on, on the substrate that I was talking about, um, and tested those drugs and found, in fact, that, that uh, several of those drugs that turned out to be arrhythmogenic in patients were also shown to be arrhythmogenic in this in this assay. So had the assay existed a couple of decades ago, we might have even either prevented those uh, clinical trials from happening or, or had an opportunity to uh, to optimize the drug for to maximize its performance in a, in a human system uh, and possibly right. have saved those patients' lives. Yeah. I would think that because you have, you know, models of various parts of the function of the heart that mm-hmm. it would suggest novel drugs, not just, you know, be a way for you to test them all quickly, but do you get feedback from the type of work, you know, the, the models that you create and say, hmm, you know, we haven't thought of something that acts like this, but, you know, the models are telling us uh, this may be a good path to go down. That's a great point. And it's something I think that uh, is sometimes uh, overlooked is that um, when you're testing on on human patients, you don't get a chance typically to to optimize or to iterate, right? If, if, if something doesn't work well, uh, Often, you know, the the trial is, is canceled, and so by having the human system early on in the process, if it if it looks promising but it isn't optimal in some way, 
um, you have you have an opportunity to go back to the laboratory, go back to medicinal chemists, and and reformulate the uh, compound and see if you can come up with with a version that uh, is safer or more effective um, for in, in in that system. Uh, so we think that's you know time will tell. Of course, this is uh, you know like I said, we, we we've only been uh, in existence for a couple of years, and this is typically a a, you know, decades-long uh, kind of uh, discovery process, but uh, we've begun working with a couple of uh, pharma's, including uh, some recent work that we've done with Pfizer um, that we uh, that we presented at the International Society of Stem Cell Research a couple of months ago in Melbourne, Australia, um, and um, and we've been start, you know starting this process. So one of the one of the key <coughs> aspects to drug discovery, the sort of two branches you might think of to drug discovery. One is testing toxicity. So are compounds that you might develop either for cancer therapy or for arthritis drug or something like that do have unanticipated off-target effects that could cause um, cause uh, toxicity to the heart. Um, so you, so you, for those kinds of tests, you need healthy uh, human heart models in order to, to test toxicity. Uh, and then the other class of drugs is drugs that are actually being developed to improve heart function. So in that case, you want to test so-called efficacy. And in, in, in that case, you're not going to be de- delivering those drugs to healthy hearts. You need to have hearts that model the disease that you're trying to uh, or treat. Um, right, right, and right, so, right. yeah, yeah. And so in that case, uh, the, the study that we, that we published a couple of months ago, um, that we presented a couple of months ago uh, with Pfizer, this was to work with their um, rare diseases group um, that uh, is developing a, uh, a treatment for a, a rare disease called uh, Friedrich's ataxia. It's a neuromuscular uh, degenerative disease um, that has a uh, uh, has um, lethal consequences in terms of uh, having a cardiomyopathy at normal heart function in these patients. So in addition to the other uh, awful symptoms that they have to deal with, with they most often die because of of uh, heart failure related to the um, abnormality. And so um, the challenge is that there hasn't been a predictive animal model to test uh, for Friedrich's ataxia. Uh, and so our project um, was to was to to use our our um, MyHeart platform uh, using cells that were obtained from patients that have this disease, um, turn those into into stem cells, in turn, convert those to cardiomyocytes. And then I said those were our building blocks. So we had those diseased building blocks now that we could use to make diseased t- uh, assays. Um, and we uh, and we created both the electrophysiology assay, we created the tissue strip contractility assay, and we created the mini hearts as well. Um, and showed that, in fact, uh, these, uh, these, uh, mo- these assays created from the patient cells uh, recapitulated the, the symptoms uh, uh, that, the, that these patients have. And so we're excited about that because now this is for the first time a model system that we can take the next step of actually testing some compounds, some test therapeutics, some lead, you know, lead uh, compounds, as they call them, um, to see if they, if they actually work in uh, reversing or correcting the symptoms of the disease. Why do you think that um, so many heart drugs fail? They work in animals, but they fail in people. What do you think the difference is in 
I mean, you know, animal hearts beat and they contract and they do seems like all the stuff that our hearts do. So where do you <laughs> think the difference is coming from? Like, has this, has this process thrown any light on that? It's a really good question. I mean, at a very gross level, um, there's a lot of similarities between across species. You know, all mammals have four different hearts. Um, when you look at the fiber structure, the heart muscle structure and the tissue, there's a lot of similarities across species. Um, but there's also a lot of important differences uh, in terms of uh, heart rate. Um, a mouse's heart that might beat 500 times a minute versus a human heart that might beat uh, 70 or 100 times a minute. Um, that sounds like this, you know, maybe it's just a scalable kind of a difference, but there's some fundamental differences at the molecular level that allow rodent heart cells to handle ions like calcium ions and so forth that are being transported through the muscle cell to allow that contraction. It's just, it's different in, in those animal cell uh, muscle cells than it is in humans. Um, and uh, similarly, there are differences in, in the way the heart uh, vasculature uh, is organized. So uh, dogs, for example, have a lot of what's called collateral circulation. If you give a dog a heart attack, it's very good at growing some new vessels to get around that damaged region of the heart, which is quite different from a human heart. And so in spite of, you know, when you look at the genetics and so forth, they might be 90, 95% um, homology similarity between humans and some of these uh, animal uh, animals. Um, the small number of differences apparently are, are important ones. Uh, and yeah. they simply don't uh, predict uh, how, how human hearts behave. Uh, that's always, you, you have to say that carefully, I think. It's not that they're completely useless, and certainly there have been, you know, success stories ba based on this traditional approach. But uh, I think what we find is that, um, you know, some very basic um, properties uh, do translate between animals and, and humans. But as we become, you know, the, the stakes are higher, we're trying to be more specific about how Repeating diseases. We're trying to be more uh, effective with with some of the early stages of of disease, um, and uh, and in cases the the human specific responses become more uh, more specialized and more more important to, to reproduce in, in, in our assays. I think. Right. Um, yeah. How do you? Um, I mean, I don't know this. So just guessing, but I would think that you know, thankfully, most of the heart problems happen when someone's older. So, you know, if you're creating and emulating a heart, are you creating and emulating a young heart or an old, like, you know, tired, maybe diseased heart? You know, how do you closely <laughs> yeah, a good question also. what actually goes on? Yeah. So there's, uh, you know, this, I mentioned that there's sort of two strategies of making healthy hearts for toxicity and diseased hearts for, for efficacy. Well, you can also think of the diseases as being in sort of two camps, that there's you know, genetic diseases such as ataxia that I mentioned, Marfan syndrome, uh, um, muscular dystrophy, uh, there's different diseases that specifically affect the heart and tend to affect the heart in early stages. Congenital uh, defects, one of the, 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 the largest uh, uh, um, incidence of congenital defects in newborn babies are, are heart defects. Um, and so, um, so, so there is a, certainly an important population, especially with the genetic diseases, uh, to, to have models of, of young hearts. And those are the patients that 
you know, have their whole life in front of them still. So you could right. have a major impact, uh, you know, of course, um, by treating, even if it's a relatively small fraction of the population, it's a, it's a huge impact on, 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 in terms of lives and society. Um, for older patients, you're right. Um, they often are uh, patients that have uh, diseases because of, so what we call acquired diseases versus genetic diseases. It's through diet or lifestyle or comorbidities with other other kinds of diseases, uh, diabetes, et cetera, that uh, um, have um, cardiac side effects. And so those are, are more challenging um, diseases to treat uh, and more challenging diseases to, to model in, in these assays. And so our approach is, is sort of twofold. One is to um, use the advantage of, of you know, genetics, of, of these um, genetic diseases, to model at least an aspect of what happens in heart failure. So, for example, uh, we're studying one disease uh, that's a that's a, a mutation of how the heart cells handle calcium. Um, and even though there's a patient population that's uh, very specific, um, you know, uh, suffers from heart failure at a very at an early age because of this mutation, the the con- the results of the process of that heart failure is very similar to what happens in older patients that develop heart failure for other reasons. And so we can start to tease out the, the disease and, and treat specific aspects of it that eventually will hopefully translate to, to elderly patients that have these diseases as well. It's not to minimize the quality of life and the impact of, of older populations. It's just that it's a more challenging um, you know, disease to address when it's, when it's multiple factors coming together. Um, we can also do things like overload our, our tissues. So for example, in um, uh, hypertension is one of the uh, so high blood pressure is one of the uh, important factors that impacts uh, heart disease in, in elderly uh, patients, and so part of the effect of that is that the higher blood pressure puts an increased load on the heart, and so we have a model where we can increase the load on our tissue strips and look at the effects on contractility and induce a model of uh, of heart failure that's a, a consequence of something that would be um, analogous to to high blood pressure, so um, it really requires a you know a, a careful understanding and, and close working with with clinicians, understanding the the um, you know the roots of the disease, uh, and being able to sort of tease that apart uh, and 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 model aspects of it in our in our assays, and, and understanding that that also has you know limitations to it, and so we need to be aware both of what the capabilities of our systems are, but also what the what the shortcomings are so that we can interpret the results in the right way as things move forward. And you said uh, you, you may be able to develop graftable components of the heart. So you, can, you actually can grow, I guess, certain functionalities of parts of the heart, and then they can, uh, you know, surgery can paste them back in to heal somebody, right? Uh, that's a, I'd say that's a long-term goal uh, for Novo Heart. It's, um, we are currently making, um, sh- you know, sheets of, of heart muscle. Uh, and we can imagine combining the sheets into thicker layers, and we're, um, you know, we've started work uh, in, in that direction. Uh, it's still, you know, that's still years away, I'd say. Um, but uh, the general principle that, you know, as we're as we're making these heart tissues that are human specific, that are more and more like, you know, behaving like natural heart tissue, um, it's appealing to think of being able to use them as sort of a a living band-aid, if you will, if you have a if you have a, a heart attack, for example, some sort of a damaged region, could you 
treat or re repair that region before the patient goes on to a, a end-stage heart failure and uh, and would need a heart replacement, uh, for example, transplant. How far out do you guess that you might be able to do stuff like that? Um, you know, I, I think something in the five to ten year time frame before we're um, implanting, implanting those kinds of things in, in animals. And there, of course, it's another challenge because, you, you know, you have to go through the animal model. There's not another way. You can't just, no matter how good the graft looks in the laboratory, your first patient can't possibly be a human. <laughs> so so we need to, um, you know, there's some, there's some some challenges to that that approach and some differences in the in the uh, design criteria, say, for tissue that you're generating to be implanted versus tissues that you're generating for use in the laboratory. But, um, you know, but it's a, it's certainly a worthwhile effort. Um, the, the need is certainly there. And, uh, and I think there's an opportunity um, for, uh, for Nova Heart to, to have an impact there as well. Okay. Well, very good. So what's the best way to give our listeners a few resources? You know, where can they go or email or check out more? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the best place uh, to go is to check out our website, www.novoheart.com. Um, and uh, under our um, under our, our contact there, um, there's an uh, email inquiry if, if uh, people want to ask specific questions or, or follow up with us. Uh, I'd be delighted to, you know, to, to uh, communicate with your listeners and uh, and there's some interesting new, uh, you know, new ideas out there, and, uh, and 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 let them know where we think uh, Overheart is going. Well, very good, Kevin. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. All right, thank you, Rich. I really appreciate the opportunity. You have been listening to Almost Here, around the corner of future technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.